0: Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions
2: apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at Viori.com Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. I need sports to have to clear the
1: room. Stand up and walk now hello and welcome to the watch i'm chris ryan i am an editor for the ringer.com and joining me in the studio i love what he did with cable in the 90s it's andy
0: greenwald it's a special honor to be here this morning it was touch and go for a minute there (laughs) you know what's up with you man it's been a minute i i want to apologize to everyone you we are fucking didn't, better. We didn't do a show on Thursday, which is not us. We are known as the most consistent pop culture podcast on the internet, I think, until recently. Yeah. And um, despite what people may think, I was not uh, flying to Sweden. I was not uh, back in Japan. I was just real <laughs> sick. <laughs> Non-COVID edition, yeah. and I spent the week kind of like, like every NBA player. Non-COVID illness, non-COVID <laughs> illness, and um, but it was not load management. And I did spend the week kind of like Kendall spent the first thirty seconds of last night's episode of Succession. Like <laughs> it was awful, but I do think people who have parasocial relationships to us uh-huh. should know that Chris, you were you were my north star. Like you were always available on text. You were checking in. You were making sure I was getting fluids. Yeah,
1: just a, a text, text, butt pat. That's what I was doing. I was like, "You got this, kid."
0: Yeah, I appreciated that. That got uh, me through, and 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 as did the, the steroid injection. So you know, I I I hope I don't get tested by the league after this podcast, <laughs> but um, I'll do my best.
1: You are like LeBron coming back. For, they they thought you needed surgery, and instead you're out here playing 41 minutes a game.
0: I did get my blood changed.
1: You know, I you gave me the option of recording on my own on Thursday. I did. It's I it solo, and yeah. for a second, I, I entertained one of those mm-hmm. all time classic. I talk for eleven minutes at a time, and Kaya goes, "That's that's cool."
0: Oh, you mean the Greenwald?
1: Yeah, I I remember the first time I heard you do like twenty two solo, yeah. and I was just like, "This is absolutely Art? bad shit." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Um, uh-huh. But I can't do this without you. Not not at this time of year when it's succession time. Yeah, but it's Barry time when it's one hundred foot
0: wave season two time. Listen, and considering how generous Mr. Zaslav has been to us, the fact that we were unable to cover the Max announcements last week. Yeah,
1: we have a lot to get through. So what we're going to do today is succession and Barry's first two episodes. Yeah. Did you watch both? Of course.
0: That's that's why you are the best. Well, when then, you're sick, you can watch television as it turns out.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't think I didn't get the vibe from you that you were like, how can I make the most out of this time?
0: I did go to my to my safe spot. I did start watching Ozu movies on Criterion. I, I 100% did that. But there was a lot of sick time.
1: Um and so we'll do Succession Barry and then if we have time at the end if you're still with me, maybe we'll do some <laughs> Max rebrand. But we can also save that for Thursday. We also have Top Chef. We yeah,
0: and, and uh, another casualty has been our Daisy Jones recap, which is going to happen. That got pushed also. Yeah. yeah, look at me. Yeah. Look, at, look in these slightly watery red-rimmed eyes. <laughs> um, do you want me to recap last night's succession? It's not what I want. It's what the listeners want. I don't know
1: that my recaps really serve much of a purpose. This isn't exactly... Um, I think it's table setting. A Russian novel. I think.
0: I think the listeners who aren't in traffic right now, they like to. They use this time. They make a. They make a cold drink for themselves. You know, they they get the pillows set up right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Broad strokes. Mm-hmm. Shiv's pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's, it's worth noting. That's Tom's baby, right? Yeah. Right. I, I just wanted to make sure in my mind because time is really weird on this show. So it's right. like it's been three months since season three. I'm just... I was just trying to remember. Shiv has not had any other paramours. Do you think I...
0: Ashley Zuckerman's coming back? He's not... He's... The Robert Langdon contract is off and... What's
1: the guy's name on the show? Uh, Nate. 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 Yeah. Uh, I think he might.
0: Do you... Do you ever watch the like... Um, what are they called? Like the you know, the extra content they film, I forget, it's the E something, The, the like the, the promotional packages that they do with uh, the cast. Oh. And they'll show up like on autoplays, HBO will run them. Yeah. And there's one where they have the cast, you know, they they have all the cast members for like 40 minutes and they ask them all the same 10 questions and they hope to mine for gold. And there's one where there's like, a lot of good insults on this show. What's your favorite? And none of them remember any of them. <laughs> so it's like two minutes of them remembering <laughs> like like buckle up, buckle head or something. Right. They remember that one. Right. And they, uh, then the rest of them, they remember like Nate saying something about, a being a basic you don't watch a lot of YouTube do you I watch a lot of YouTube that I get through Facebook
1: okay because there's like th- this content. is now like most of what celebrity journalism is on YouTube yeah. is just people two two people from yeah. a, se- a cast in a room and they're like why don't you two look up your Google results that seems fun okay so anyway Shiv's pregnant we're mm-hmm. at this wake at Logan's apartment which will serve as the setting for the entirety of the episode yes and we've got Marsha, who is in Milan shopping forever. She's back, and she's sort of running this. <laughs> uh, she had a closer relationship with Logan than mm-hmm. Kendall at the end. They were still speaking, quote-unquote, intimately. Every night. Every night. Kind of like us. Yeah. Uh, and at the wake, the C-suite is trying to figure out who will be the next CEO. Frank discovers a piece of paper dated unknown <laughs> that indicates Logan's wish that Kendall take over the company as CEO, but we're not sure oh. when that was written and we're not sure whether or not he has underlined it to emphasize his choice or crossed it out to yes. suggest never mind. This news is slowly disseminated, and I put a pin in disseminated because I want to mm. ask you about this. Finally, to the three siblings, uh, Kendall, who earlier was taken aback by the continued intimacy of Logan and Marsha in the face of his own estrangement with his father, mm. finally feels like his dad sees him Yeah, and begins to make his move. He talks to Stewie, then Roman, and Shiv into a plan that involves him taking over as CEO, Roman riding shotgun, and Shiv reluctantly agrees with the understanding that this will be a short term deal. Roman
0: is co CEO, I believe, right? I
1: thought he was COO.
0: I thought because they were both COOs, they would step up together. Okay.
1: Well, we can discuss the org chart. Uh, Shiv reluctantly agrees under the provision that this is gonna be a six to eight month mm-hmm. gig, that they're gonna go do ATN Pierce together, that she's across everything. Yeah. Um, Who wouldn't trust this? And after the board meeting, Coronation, Hugo, and Carolina come to Kendall and Roman and give them the uh, choice of running with a safe pair of hands narrative, talking about what a great guy mm. Logan was, or leaking to the press that Logan was losing his fastball and that there's a new sheriff in town and that all the problems that used to face Waystar, those were Logan problems. And now they're, they've got this this great group of people. And
0: conversely, too, that anything steadying had come from those outside. Guys. Yeah. Yes,
1: Exactly. Uh, they reject the latter, but later, Kendall goes to Hugo and essentially blackmails him into that very thing. There's some other things going on. Connor stuff. Shiv falls down. Tom and Shiv have a absolutely agonizing uh, yeah. Bergman movie taking place during this episode. <laughs> Just on the stairs. I don't know. I can't remember. I, I should look. I mm. should do my work. What yeah. this episode's called?
0: It's called The Honeymoon. Honeymoon States. I'd like to tell you what this episode should be called. Mm. Dark Ken Rises. Oh, I like that. That has the same initials as you and Sean Fennessey's favorite Batman movie, <laughs> right? About, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: by threatening to pull out the strap-on, yeah. he becomes the killer his father always doubted he was.
0: Yeah, and it's it's also impressive and, a, and a kind of an homage to his father because using a strap-on is a f- traditional father's daughter conversation in Hugo's family. <laughs> so <laughs> Kendall Christ. is taking on a paternal role yeah. in that way. He's sort of assuming the mantle, right? Jeremy Strong's unreal in this episode yeah <laughs> yeah this is this isn't
1: even a zag are you gonna the do the thing where you're like let's only talk about succession for eight minutes and i'm just gonna say this show is good <laughs> give me your takes oh
0: i thought you were you weren't done recapping no I i'm done get... that's the end
1: of the episode
0: yeah well so what did you feel energy wise because again this is this is a remarkable balancing act because this episode is coming after one of the most momentous episodes uh, most surprising episodic dramatic episodes in recent television mm-hmm. history. Obviously, when they were making this, they wouldn't have given any thought to what I just recently saw was what like the highest IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes or something rating in the history of episodic television. Yeah. Like it's it's it has a perfect rating, I think. But they had to know that they had that this was a really important inflection point for the series because in a way, this is this is the reboot. This is what the show is going to be from here yes. until uh, the finish line. And I thought it was interesting that it paused for really only the time when Kendall was cosplaying as me, briefly, (laughs) just sick and alone, um, before getting into it. And really what I thought was in terms of our reaction to the beginning of last week's episode. And you remember we were talking about how before the first phone call from Tom on the plane it felt like they had reached the end of something. The, the, the jokes weren't landing. The, the profanity just felt kind of profane and yes. empty and tired. And one thing that was really notable to me was the mojo is back. <laughs> and that is deeply disturbing. Yeah. But absolutely true, you know, that uh, a momentous event has a ripple effect that can give very, very confusing sensations of energy or or whatever it is that uh, that Roman is doing. But more than anything else, it gives them something to do. It gives them purpose. And shockingly, this was the, the arc of the episode, it gives these m- you know, malign toys, who are these children, um, agency and priority again. Mm-hmm. They were on the outs. Some of these malign toys have agency. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we could speak about some of the others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was really interesting. I also just think broad strokes. I love how, you know, last week we were talking about how the show doesn't really have sex scenes because, you know, Jesse Armstrong doesn't really want to write him. Yeah. So that's fine. He can write whatever show he wants to write. He really just wants to write like stage plays almost at this point. Yes. Now, the direction um, by Mark Milad, this dir- this was directed by Lorene Scafaria, who's directed on the show before, does an excellent job. Um, it's very kinetic. It's propulsive. The decisions to go from one room to the other to inspect the china, et cetera, et cetera, really keeps the sense of of propulsion going throughout the Even though the this is
1: taking place in an apartment. It's just Albeit taking place... Albeit the biggest apartment in the world. But like, a- it's just... It's so it's hard to get into rooms. these good buildings. Yeah. <laughs> it's...
0: Um, the, the fact that it's just a conversation between these 10 people rotating is really striking. And that the show continues to be kind of just at its best when it's insular. Even though... As Jerry says, you know, prime ministers and presidents and royalty, they're all calling, but they're not here. They're not where the action is. These people need this. They feel more alive than ever with, with the center of the universe gone. And is that a dead cat bounce? I think that's the question.
1: Yeah, so your point is really well taken because some of the words that you've used over the course of your description of the episode resonate With me, because I I just keep going back to this interview that Jeremy Strong gave at the beginning of the season, where he kind of casually mentioned that this show is often just compared to King Lear, but to him, it's Richard III, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's about this guy who will do whatever it takes to get to this mountaintop that he wants to be on. (laughs) Interesting.
0: So it's not about. The King Lear, where Brian Cox is the star. Yeah. <laughs> it's Richard Third, where Jeremy yeah, well, Strong that, is the star. That's start. also
1: a really good thing to say. Uh-huh. So, that, like when Brian Cox is calling up Collider to be like, I'd like to do an <laughs> interview about fucking Jeremy Strong. Says this is Richard III, not King Lear. Yeah. But um, this episode actually had um, an almost royal, you know, political bent to it. Mm. Like there was, a, there, this actually did feel like we are picking the air. Like palace intrigue. Yeah. And it was in a palace. Yes. And when Kendall and Roman walk out, there is like almost like a all hail, you know, I think yes. literally somebody says like hail, like Kendall and Roman. There is. Yeah, it felt
0: like the great in the sense exactly. that there were these halls with people in them. Yes. And the people are serving a purpose, but really the purpose is just to be present and to genuflect.
1: Yeah, right? And because it's, if you start thinking about terms of Shakespeare or or, or a certain, like, a theatricality to it, this show can feel so loose and alive and improvised and free, and, like, we know that they'll just do a take where they're like, try something, try something, and maybe we'll use this, and maybe we'll cut together these three things, especially some of the famous dinner scenes. Like, we've heard the actors on the show talk about, like, they'll just let you do a take yourself Mm -hmm. where you're just, like, playing, you know? And then that winds up in the show and combined with something that Jesse also wrote. But I think because it feels so alive and free, sometimes you forget the precision with which certain words are chosen or Mm. certain scenes are constructed in certain ways. And so I really kept going back to the scene between the Sibs Mm -hmm. where Shiv makes them promise on their dad, right? And I thought that was really perversely funny that the three of them would promise on the name of their tormentor not to torment one another,
0: yeah, that's almost doing him a disservice. And
1: also, did you catch the way Kendall looked at her when they cut to yes. him and he's like, on yesterday? Which is like, on one hand, has the meaning of, yes, of course yesterday was important and I pr- I swear on yesterday that I won't betray you. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, that was yesterday.
0: Yeah, well, the same moment was kind of replayed when they first see the piece of paper, which we should talk about in more detail, you know, when he's like, well, sure as shit doesn't say Shiv on that paper, you know, and she's like, it's, it's so it's not even below the surface. It's waiting. Yeah. Um, I do want to before we move on to the specifics of those scenes, I think the idea of the palace intrigue connects to something that I was observing in the episode too, which is there really is a difference between being wealthy and being rich. Um, and it is similar to royalty, I think, to being born in it versus grasping for it, you know, the brass ring. Mm-hmm. And it was never more apparent than it was in this episode because the siblings, for all of their many uh, flaws and their ups and downs, have a floor of uh, certainty in terms of what is owed to them and what and what they deserve, and they carry themselves with it. You know, it, it. we saw it last week when it's like even in this moment, um when hugo has a job to do he really needs to get Shiv Advil first mm-hmm. you know that's just what happens the way that they take ownership of a room and dismiss everyone else in it there is no wobbling because no matter what happens today they're going to be generationally wealthy for the rest sure. of their lives and their children's yeah. lives the disparity between the way they talked about what's happening and the way you could call them the C-suite yeah. C-suite elite which um crucially Tom is a member of as well was really was really telling it is fleeting for them you know you would never hear a roy say that he is you know up really like in over his head on a greek island with his (laughs) brother-in-law you know what i mean like connor buys artifacts and just bought a house for 63 million dollars on a spit handshake you know what i mean like we 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 have a he he has alluded to a some financial precarity in the past but nothing like that right and when and The way that that realization plays on Tom through the episode was incredible. And again, another, you know, Hall of Fame Matthew McFadden performance because no one has lost more potentially than he has. And the way he speaks, the way his language became, I'm here to serve, Mm -hmm. the way he just tumbled down the ladder and is looking up again, which is similar to the way he was in the first season, was really striking. None of those other people, even Jerry, who, as she says, has done it before, yeah. has ever walked into a room the way Kendall and Roman walk into a room.
1: Yeah, you know, you're at a wake, you're at this uh, gathering where I think, ideally, you're supposed to be supporting one another. Ideally. And yeah. I was struck by how every single time someone is reaching out for human connection, it gets it gets either rejected or it just kind of misses in midair. Where, so you've got Carrie returning Mm -hmm. and she's got her pills and she wants to see if there's, like, her jewelry is upstairs or whatever it is. And Roman, like, is sort of like, I want to be a human being and help you. But, like, not, like, he can't quite, like, be a hero in that moment. He doesn't even know maybe if he should be. But he's just more, like, kind of like, I'm sort of in the way of this, but I don't know. And so then you've got that. You've got Shiv on the stairs after Tom makes his Mr. Darcy speech. And she's just like, Okay, great. You well,
0: know what about Greg's hug when he's like, "My guys," <laughs> <laughs> like it's just not that's just not the way anyone I know. physically engages with another person. But
1: it's just like everybody's sort of kind of like feeling around in the dark trying to find one another. And the only moment that I thought, and it's the second time this season that mm. I've been quite moved by an interaction between these two, were Peter Friedman and Jeremy Strong's performances in absolutely the the sometimes scene when he's discovered the the piece of paper and everybody else is left and, and, and uh, Frank and Kendall stay behind and it's just like this extraordinary moment where like obviously this guy is something of a surrogate father and you know he made me hate him and then he died is just basically like good, good summary of all father-son relationships. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's from Oedipus straight to Kendall. Yeah. Well, I, I I wanted to talk about Peter Friedman as Frank and and also um, David Rashi as as Carl because yeah, this is really respectfully <laughs> this was, this was really their episode. They were unreal. Um, it's interesting the way you get to see. Let's just just using Frank and Peter Friedman's amazing performance as an example of this. He he is doing what the family continued to say they were doing. You know, in the last scene at the karaoke bar, and it, as the further we get from it, the funnier it is that the last. Roy family powwow was in a private room at a karaoke bar in the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. Shift once again trotted out that this isn't personal, this is business. Watch Jerry and Frank and Carl this episode. They worked for this asshole for four decades. Their their eyes are bone dry. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're just Dealing with the present situation because it is one thousand percent. Yeah, but they're also not like it's business. summer
1: vacation, right? They're like, no. not like oh yes, the king is dead. No, like, now we get to like do things the way we've always wanted.
0: It's still their job. Yeah, it's still a delicate balancing act with these. You know, I, I forget what specifically what Tom calls them, but like dipshits and whatever oh, screw
1: ups. The, the kids are screw ups and dipshits. Yeah,
0: know? I mean now they ha- he, he, the the problem was above and now the problem is below. But either way, the problem is roy is the, is the roy's. You know, mm. Frank. Balancing act of being clear eyed and emotionally direct to Kendall and honest again, two episodes in a row in a way a parent ought to be, but Kendall is very unfamiliar with is striking, even as he can still be as not as broadly cartoonish as some of the others, but he is still, you know, commenting in a joking way that perhaps his hand might get shaky and yeah. the document might fall into the toilet. It's, it's a remarkable balancing act.
1: Yeah, what's the line he has about the, we always think the ice shelves? We're gonna come, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It, it it it's that's remarkable. And then the, the the Carl of it. I mean, can we just we? I feel like every season we just have to take a moment from Mr. Sledgehammer himself. That scene, he's seventy eight years yeah, young.
1: The scene with him, Jerry, and Tom, when he's like, I, if there's a ring, I'd like to
0: throw my hat in it. And he's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Here's, can I can I can I give you a sense of what the story might go? I mean, talk about McFad like Mcfadden. Some, you mentioned Mr. Darcy. I mean, he was Mr. Darcy, right? Mm-hmm. And he was in Howard's End. And you see him. I watched him. A clip of him on Fallon, because you know, big YouTube guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. from my sick bed, and he's just a very debonair, straight up and down. He Seems like a lovely dude, British, lovely British guy. Yeah. If you, if you, dear listeners, if you watch that scene again, where where Carl just <laughs> reaches into his body like last of the Mohicans <laughs> and removes his still beating heart, it's like gray hair. <laughs> watch Matthew
1: McFadgen's mouth. I want to know how many takes they did and how many tacos he had to eat. It,
0: but also, were they
1: tacos? Yeah, because she's like, you. Uh, when Jerry's like, you're sick with grief, you might want to put that fish taco down. You're getting melancholy everywhere.
0: I'm going to go on a limb and say that that was a classic J. Smith Cameron ad lib because I just don't think they were catering fish tacos. You know, this this wedding, this wedding, this, this wake did not happen in Rosarito. You know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. I just mean watch McFadgen's mouth because so much of the acting on the show, so much attention is paid towards the um the verbal. And obviously with good reason, it's incredibly high flying and dexterous. But like what these people do with their bodies. And I don't know how Matthew McFadgen makes his mouth shrink ten sizes. Yeah. So that like he'll maybe will never speak again. <laughs> goes, Jesus yeah. Carl. Yeah. <laughs> it is it it's it's just it's an amazing thing.
1: You mentioned we we talked about the scene with the piece of paper. And there is this scenario that the C-suite kind of cooks up where it's like, well, what if this fell in the toilet or, you know, blew, this blew away or nobody ever saw it? Why do they then tell the kids about it?
0: Yeah, that was sort of smeared. I mean, I, 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 what I was my takeaway from that scene largely was modern office companies like Gojo. Get a lot of shit for like the open floor plan, right? Sure. Like uh, just a bullpen. We're all equals here. No yeah. offices. I think uh, no Amaz- assigned seating. Prime Amazon Prime just got ding for that in thr. That's right. I would imagine that Waystar Royco has not adopted modern office things. <laughs> they do in the it, in the ATN bullpen. The bullpen it's well, like, well, that's because all- that's just where the news is happening. Sure. Fair and balanced. What what I mean is the reason I say this is they're just all over each other anyway. Like I think it was the the to me the takeaway was just comedy that. It starts with with uh, Frank having access to one thing, and then Carl lets himself in, and then Jerry lets himself in. And at that point, it's just like, well...
1: Well, so the three of them talk about what would happen if no one had ever seen this. Yes, I, I guess my read of why they bring the kids in is by this point, it's like, there were only six people in the world who knew that Logan had died, and that got out.
0: Yeah. So really, there are no secrets. Uh, that's what I mean. And, and it's mutually assured destruction, right? Like, they're all in it and so they're fighting for survival and if they just spread out the problem mm-hmm. then they can maybe all stay afloat. So what's your re- let's talk about the document. Okay? What as a as a fan of the show, like what do you think the intent was? Uh, I think
1: it it's a totem for Kendall to do the thing that he wants to do. Yeah. Because this is not going to be clean and this is not going to be never going to be Sibs, clean. Yeah. And It's the it's the idea. Whether he crossed it out or underlined it, it kind of doesn't matter. You know? It's it's more that like you wrote at some point you wrote my name down. And at some point you thought I could do this. And it's not Shiv's name. Yeah. And it's not Roman's name. And it's not Connor's name. And it's not Tom's name or whatever. And that's all he needs. And by the end of the episode, one of the things that I was really struck by was uh he looks exactly like he looks in the pilot. Yes, in this episode, and I kept jotting down the words like hair because he has the same hairstyle mm-hmm. as he had in the first episode. Hair, air, you know. Oh, but look I don't at know you. what to do with that. Like, do you I'm often just like, jot down wordplay. It wasn't. I was just like he he. This his look has mm-hmm. gone from tech bro, you know, pumpkin seed eating Tom Ford guy to sort of business casual morning. Mm-hmm. But like his look, he looks younger. Yeah, And he looks kind of fresh. And I don't think he's ever smiled that way. Like he smiles yeah. at Hugo at the end
0: of the episode. He, 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 here's, it's, he's in control. Here's my take. Of course it should fucking be him. That's my take. <laughs> if you're, I'm just purely with the text up to this point. Has he made a few mistakes? Sure. <laughs> who among us? But of the people who are throwing their hats in the proverbial ring, it's unquestionably Kendall who is suited for this. He is only suited for this. And I think in some ways that's what the show has been telling us, right? That this is the only thing that he has ever wanted. It is the only thing that he has ever pointed his life toward. Mm-hmm. And every other thing he has done has been bad bordering on catastrophic. And in the midst of this, he seems like this, this is insane. I And I know that there are many episodes left, so... I imagine there will be some 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 zags to this, but, like, he's the only one suited to do this job going forward. He's the only one focused on it. And I agree with you that the Hugo thing is a sign yeah. that he is ready to do it. He He's not going to turn it in to MSNBC. He's not going to turn it into Pierce. That was never what this was going to be. And I do think that if you strip away some of the other stuff, like a, emotional attachment or enjoyment of the characters, like, you know, as they remind her, like, Shiv still hasn't really worked for the company. She did some daddy busy work, yeah. I guess.
1: I mean, we could talk about the Shiv part. Um, but I mean, it 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 should it should be him. I noted with interest that uh, when they're in the room, the three of them, and they're describing like what the scenario is going to be and how it's going to be, and he very purposely, even though obviously he doesn't know what the meaning is, he goes six to eight months like her pregnancy. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, it just feels like mm. all of a sudden she is she is shunted out and Sarah Snook does this amazing little thing when she's like make, making them promise she grabs her stomach yeah and like kind of like almost heaves she, a little bit
0: she her bodily performance of being alone yeah is really striking yeah she is I mean she and Roman are not in good shape in opposite directions sure I don't believe pre-grieving is a thing you know, I haven't fully studied it. Doesn't seem legit to me. Seems like there's another shoe about to drop. <laughs> um, and just her, I don't. It, it, what's interesting about some of the events of the episode is your point that Kendall's behavior with Hugo proves that he has a lot of his father in him. I think Shiv's response to Tom also proves she has a lot of her father in her, mm-hmm. and it's not a good thing. There's a there's a there's a pridefulness. There's a stubbornness. There is a almost visceral anger hurting
1: the people closest to you well there's a
0: visceral anger yeah. at um, emotion that it, it beca- that it is an invader in the body that is weakness you know and that it is somehow better or stronger to walk away to button up and you know that it takes a very it takes a very specific type of person to exist that way yeah um, and it, she doesn't I don't think she is that person
1: what did you make of Romans uh, reaching out for Carrie I think Amazing that, scene, by the way. Yeah, we, just Marsha fucking godfathering in.
0: But also the construction of it too, where it's just like when Kendall arrives and he's like, where's he what does he say, where's Carrie? And Roman's like in Marsha's trunk <laughs> in a sarcophagus. <laughs> um Yeah. Speaking of wealth versus rich, I put her in a taxi to the subway to go back to her little apartment. Yeah. I tough. mean, that's that's T-
1: tough for all of us who can't afford to take a taxi to the subway. I know. I was like, wow, luxury. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow,
0: did I misread it? Yeah. Um, I, I, one of my favorite aspects of the Roman character is that he has the right intentions, but he has no modeling. Like, he wrote his dad. Like, he did write his dad on his birthday. Yeah. He wants to be a real boy more he than any them, of these other people. The,
1: the, the perfect example of what you are just describing yeah. of is like, he says to them at one point, like, this feels good. And I'm like, it doesn't sound like it feels good to you. Why are you saying those words together? Yes. <laughs> you know? He he has the And you know it's not good. You know you guys can't trust one another. He has
0: the crunchiest exterior and the gooeyest center of any of these characters. And I, I just made myself hungry. But he he wants to be real. Yeah. And just physically does not know how to do it, emotionally does not know how to do it, and is certainly not encouraged by anyone he has ever met or been in proximity with of how to be a real person. So I, I, I was kind of touched by that too because it, it gave him something. I mean, one thing you, we noticed beginning in the last episode was the kind of, they are incapable of letting any moment pass without jockeying. Who's sadder? Who's more in the moment? Who's more accepting of reality? And in that moment, you know, Roman's looking around being like, all of you are, are savage monsters and I am not. I am not. Yeah, in this moment, but of course he is. I mean, it it just wait till the next page to turn. The line of the
1: episode to me, in some ways, uh, well, my favorite line reading of the episode happens in the same scene. It was when uh, Stewie says to Kendall, "What's in it for me?"
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was that that was real. Nicholson as the Joker. Yeah,
1: I liked that. Uh, But Ken saying, "I'm twin track." I'm alive, but I'm dead.
0: Yeah, that's... I uh, I kind of thought that was going to be the intro yeah, today for me. I know. Mm-hmm.
1: He seems like he's sort of like is able to compartmentalize that and be these other people. The only thing, and this is not like a concern, but we mentioned like, you know, what makes them decide to distribute the paper. And I think over the course of the season, you could kind of... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of like pin the tail on the donkey as to how the kids are feeling about the Gojo deal in any given moment of an episode. Yeah. Are you trying to undermine it? Are you trying to extract more money? Are you trying to torture your father? Are you mm-hmm. trying to make it sure it happens so that you get your money? Yep. For as satisfying as I felt like the end of this episode was, I hope, and I guess I, I, I hope that it, like, that these last few episodes give them narrative clarity so that everybody is like, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And not like, Next episode on Succession, we're just going to pretend like the last fifteen minutes of Succession didn't happen or something.
0: Well, I, I, I'm curious. There's no way that you know that that the the the, the harmony is going to last. Sure. So I think it'll be interesting to put that pre question that you just voiced to consider it going forward because it's going to shatter. And will it feel like just we're just rerunning it, or will it feel natural and tied into the emotional stuff? Yeah. The Gojo scene was maybe my favorite in the episode with the uh, Os- uh, Oscar. Os- Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Oscar and Lucas' But <laughs> it's phone. our retreat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: again, Chris, you, you know, uh, of the two of us, you've worked most closely with Swedish tech conglomerates. Uh-huh. They're pretty serious about their retreats, right? Like like the schedule. I'm going on one in, in a month. Yeah. So let's hope, we, we got to make sure that nothing major happens in any of our lives <laughs> around that, right? <laughs> like at the end of succession. Because <laughs> it's not changing. <laughs> yeah. Did you, oh, is it happening at the same time? Unfortunate. yeah. Have you mentioned that? to Daniel or Oscar on Daniel's phone that maybe we could just bump it by a week because of the succession finale no
1: I think it's going to be more of a like me at four in the morning at some place in Europe being like it's Andy Greenwald <laughs>
0: but, but, but crying a little yeah. bit but maybe the sun won't set there at all so it'll that's be that's true that's so true it'll, it'll still Long be days. bright <laughs> I, I, I loved I love when he's just like do you, do you know what happened yesterday he's like yeah a bad one <laughs> I don't think that that's consistent <laughs> so, with all Swedes' no, attitude towards. I, I, I would like to death. put a hard yeah. pivot. I'm not saying that that is. There's anything also that to do amazing
1: or... dance where it seems to be a lot of like, yeah, like let's let's table this for a week, and it's like ah, uh, like no, we're not going to table it for a week. Like all the like sort of uh, these these sort of political, not political, but like these business gestures that happen yes. where you're like, oh, what does this mean? What is the real meaning of this?
0: I, I yeah, I love that, and I think that that also was evidence of what the thing that logan roy said made him great and that other people said made him great was his um <laughs> was it his his racism and it, what, what were they, when they were parsing the the obituary it was so good a keen business savvy yeah. threw phones at people but that he he could read the intangibles right that like he can have a phone call like that and he can like 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 he has a dowsing rod, like he understands which ways the winds are blowing and he responds accordingly and he was pretty much never wrong. These three are always wrong Yeah, in reading the mood, in understanding the way things are going and what it means for them. They are always, at least up to this point, not quite up to it and making a mistake. So I, I, I thought that scene was interesting in that context and particularly interesting in terms of, I, I think, the inevitable trip to Sweden. To Sweden. Sweden. Um, it's coming. What else? It's such a. I, I, I just. This is not a new succession take, but the the bench is so deep that Zoe Winters is Carrie. Uh,
1: and Marsha coming back after that. Marsha comes back. Yeah. That
0: we have Stewie ready to come back. That even Larry Pine wheeled in for this. Oh, yeah. Hope Davis. That's right. <laughs> like just to, just to be in the... We didn't. Steven Root was in this episode. Mm hmm. I mean, that one just felt like they went to Craft Services and like he was just visiting everyone at I HBO. I think his and they agent like,
1: talked to Justin Kirk's agent about what can happen when you're on two <laughs> HBO shows in 48 hours. Although they were
0: both on the previous, Stephen Root was on that episode yeah. the last season as well. But like, it's such a luxury that they have to be able to just call people like that and just show up for a scene. I also do want to call out, you know, the the actors get a lot of the attention, the writers get a lot of the attention deservedly, but like the production design. Someone had to dummy up the Logan uh, piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Someone had to show to Jesse
1: and the other EPs. Zoe so Winters did an in interview with Vulture where she talked about knowing exactly what was going to be spilling out of her bag, right? Like they, the prop people are like, mm-hmm. she's on these
0: medications. Here's all the stuff that's in her, like her keys and stuff. It, specifically, though, what I mean is they had they had probably five or six versions of an underline slash crossout. And the specificity of that. Yeah. I, I And it's pencil. When I watched the episode again, I, I I paused to look at it. I'm like, yes, this is 50-50. Yeah. This is at exactly 50-50. And they took the time and they made that Yeah, because it like
1: starts under and then goes it into cross. swoops <laughs> over.
0: Yeah. And like- the, Like is this,
1: did, did he cross out Roy and write in Kendall Gill, famous I, I, University I, I, of Illinois <laughs> shooting card? <laughs>
0: <laughs> i do I do think that one of the most lasting bits of genius of this show is that the greatest sums of wealth or accrued capital in the world come down to the dumbest things. Mm-hmm. They come down to missed iPhone calls. They come down to pencil underlines slash crossouts that it's all,
1: yeah, it's farce. accidentally forwarded emails. it's it's satellites exploding. Uh, I (laughs) I guess that's not really a common office faux pas but
0: well it is for them yeah Um, any thoughts on on Willa's extended family well let me take that Mm -hmm. and flip it on you okay Uh,
1: I wanted to ask you these two last questions yeah did you miss Logan dramaturgically speaking (laughs) and how seriously do we have to take Connor the two are related because they are getting like a Pretty decent wedge of screen time now. The Connor Willa relationship, Connor's presidential aspirations, Connor now. Let's just take it. If I described what these kids do to you, yeah, without telling you anything about their personalities or or their past fuck ups or anything, and I was like, well, one of them is the CEO of the company and has blown up a satellite. The other has never really, really worked for the company and kind of did some work for uh, a politician. This other one went to rehab a bunch and kind of tried to destroy the company multiple times, and then this other guy just got married. He owns his father's
0: house and he's running for president. Yeah, isn't Connor the most serious person on this show? <laughs> well, I think that what you're picking up on is something that we talked about last week, which is somehow Connor is the most serious human being. Yeah, he's a joke, but even in this episode, you know, they, they still Alan Alan Ruck is so good and. They give him a lot of funny business to do, you know, about like, you know, they also say it's smart to avoid realtor fees. But every time they ask him a question, like how he's doing emotionally or whatever, he's very honest yeah. about it. He seems very in touch with it and okay. Um, but again, that's the central crux of the thing. I think being a more successful human on the show almost takes you out of the running to be a successful uh, Well, I don't necessarily to expect
1: the, him to take over the company or whatever but i just wonder with if you take away the 25 to 40% of airspace that brian cox occupied yes. that logan occupied as a character and you are replacing that with say a little bit more frank jerry carl stuff hugo carolina yep. stewie's back yes. he's in the mix I, I don't know there's still a lot of playing time left for connor you know weirdly you, is this ewing theory I'm mean, it's not ewing theory. I'm just saying that like I always kind of looked at him as this punchline to the yes. episodes where it's just like bring Connor in, he'll be disappointed that the family therapy isn't working or that his irrigation system isn't working or whatever. And now all of a sudden, with the presidential election, Yeah. it just seems like he's Con- consequential to the narrative of the show. Connor's Mikhail Bridges. Yeah.
0: Great. Really, really good, you know, in a role and then ready to step up when yeah. necessary. Um you asked a really important question, I think, for the show going forward. So I Connor
1: know, got traded to the Pierce's
0: and oh just got all of
1: a sudden his usage rate went up.
0: Yeah, sorry, Naomi. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're basically benched. I'm curious your thoughts on this, too, because I did not miss Logan Roy in this episode. One thing that I was thinking about in retrospect is they have been experimenting with reduced playing time or with getting him off the show for a while now. Not just in the sense of, like, he had piss madness and was, like, off-screen. Yeah. We He's talk- often separated from the rest of the
1: cast because they've been estranged.
0: Yes. And we talked about this, I think, slightly critically last season in the early stages where the show was basically, he, he was omniscient and his machinations were happening off-screen and filtering down. And so everybody was reacting to whatever way he had caused the winds to blow, mm-hmm. which kind of neutered him as an emotionally... As, an emotion, as as a character with emotional agency of his own. I, I remember that in the early parts of last season. He was just sort of this omniscient god that yeah. was on Mount Olympus causing stuff to happen. I feel like in a way that was Jesse and the writers seeing what it felt like. Pushing him off, marginalizing him, because we know, and I'm sure this has been said in interviews that he's done. Maybe I haven't listened to the official podcast, but I'm sure that it's been brought up. And we know this from talking interviews to people. Interviews that Jesse's done, or yes, just, I Jesse. Could, if it's has Brian, Brian, has he done any interviews <laughs> that um, th- we know this from from talking to people at HBO? Like this was the plan. Brian Cox banned from the watch, by the way. Whoa! Well, just because he's done too many
1: interviews, you know. You if he came on the watch, I would only ask him about Manhunter.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah. I would only talk to him about um Rushmore. Good. And McDonald's commercials. <laughs> um oh, and X2. He's really good at Oh, that. that's right. He's, He's uh, real good. General He's a Striker. Striker, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great movie. Should we just should we just do a COT fifteen on that?
1: Wait, are you serious? X2, you're into that?
0: I fucking love that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's one the... the one
1: that has a good reputation. It's last stand that's like one of the all
0: time stinkers. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, no, X2 is really good. Um Kaya, you like X2?
2: Can't say I've seen that. Yeah, there
0: you go. <laughs> I just I needed to know. Yeah. Um, she's got to.
1: She's got to turn on her mic. Pull I know it over to her. So if, if you're gonna if you're gonna make her do that, you gotta.
0: Do, do really you know what that was? Gas, Kaya. Did you see last chance? Kitchen? That was a trademark Rosillo pause. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 gathering <laughs> gathering the ball to make the first move to the hoop. Um, we know from people at HBO that this was always the plan. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Jesse called the executives and was like, so some news, I'm going to be killing off yeah. Logan Roy early in the season. It was always going to be sudden. It was always going to, he was always going to use the element of surprise. And I would imagine, and we could hopefully get the chance to ask him this, he probably floated this in his room at the beginning of season two. He probably floated this at the beginning of season three. Both because maybe he, he's always trying to find a way to figure out the shape of the show and when it was going to end, but also wanted this show to happen and have this show without him. So I was really stunned by how um, propulsive and fluid and consistent and exciting it felt watching everyone sweep to try to fill the hole. Um, and to your point, I mean, if we were going to use an NBA metaphor, like you could not possibly have a deeper bench. Like even reaching into like, you know, calling Stewie off of the G League at night, you know. Oh, like, yeah.
1: I mean, they've got Skarsgård and Justin Kirk and God knows who else waiting in the wings mm-hmm. to come back to come back into the show if they need them,
0: you know? It it, it really is a reminder that as it, recently as two weeks ago, we were saying, we've seen some of these things before. These are beats that have happened before and we praise it because it's done brilliantly. That's why, and, so that's
1: why I brought up I don't want any more narrative reversals. I want this right. to be what Kendall is doing. I don't want him to be like... Now I don't want it anymore. Now I don't want it or maybe it should be Rome or I need actually like... like it, I He grabbed something there like both... In terms of narrative, Mm -hmm. but also like giving that performance like now like a a tunnel to go through. And I hope he fucking stays in the darkness.
0: I agree. I think it's a feature bug or, or lemonade out of lemons thing to say that when the show was repetitive in terms of its emotional relationships, it was brilliant because that's what familial relationships often are. You continue to hold out. You hold hope and you just run at it again and again. And it's whether you want to say it's Lucy with a football or it's just a brick wall that you run into there's something in us that keeps that hope alive. Like all three of these kids thought their father was going to one day wake up and say, I'm proud of you and I love you. Yeah. They all thought that up until, and in some ways they woke up the day of this episode still thinking that and their behavior. You can see that, you know, and and there's a version of watching this episode thinking that everything that they do is because they think they're still being watched. And you could go through the moments we talked about, like Shiv staying strong, and walking away from Tom's sort of mushy entreaties. You could look at Roman trying to take care of their dad's girlfriend and show her some decency or old-school chivalry or whatever it is that he's doing, or Kendall offering to to take out the strap on on their head of corporate PR. Like, they're still wanting his approval, and it might work out for some of them. But at the end of that road, and this is looking ahead, at the end of this journey for Kendall— Let's say he gets it and let's say he crushes it. Let's say he crushes it the way he's crushing grief. His dad's not waiting at the end of the season to right. be like, good job, son, want to have a catch.
1: Maybe that was the point. Yeah. Maybe he didn't want that. You have to kill him, not get a hug from him. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, I can't wait to talk about Barry because I think that this is a good point to jump into Barry. Two episodes went up last night for the final fourth season. Love that about TV. Love love when there's a surprise second episode up too. Just, well, it's like essentially the the length of a long episode. But stop being stingy, TV. You know what? Share because the first episodes. episode after you get through the previously on Barry mm-hmm. is like twenty three minutes. Yeah, and then the second episode's longer a lot of reversals in this one. And hmm. I'm using this term kind of loosely, but this is also something that Hater talked about with Deadline. Where it's essentially like when we when we're talking about it, I'm saying you start your story going in one direction, the audience gets invested with a certain pattern of behavior or decision making on the part of characters and then sometimes for the sake of the show, characters change their mind and go back. They go back on this, they go back on that. So this episode of Barry starts with with the exception of Barry and, and Fuchs, like people sort of scattered to the to the wind. Yeah. Um, you know, Hank's in New Mexico with Crystal Ball and uh us. Look, looking fabulous. Sally's in Joplin, Missouri. You know, Cusino is is trying not to get too famous for for this case. Janet Moss's dad is is sort of saying, you know, let's keep our powder dry here. It's like this is very sad, you know. But it was it's all kind of there. And then over the course of maybe basically one and a half episodes, everybody changes track. And sort of, I don't even know if you would call it reverts to form, but a lot of what this show is seemingly about now is nature versus nurture. Is this idea of like, who is somebody inherently? And what are the things that they are that are conditioned by the world, that are creations of the world? And I think when you're watching a TV show, I mean, I don't know how much it would have affected me if I had just watched the first episode, and then next week I'd watch the second episode. But it felt a little uh, whiplashy. Yes, uh, this is a deeply psychological show now. Like a lot of this stuff is happening inside of people's heads. A lot of tight close-ups of people in anguish. Yes, you know? and it's becoming less and less verbal. With the exception, I think, of the Hank Cristobal stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's a very kind of internal show now. I agree with Although you. Although obviously deeply cinematic and amazing to look at and also like I've we've done the like is something wrong with Barry thing before and then we're like never mind it's the best I, show
0: of the last 10 years. I think this is one of the best shows of the last 10 years. I think um, we were joking last night about putting up too many episodes because come on think of the podcasters.
1: I just have a lot like, like it's also that a was a really else. good fucking Suns game man.
0: <laughs> I was busy. <laughs> but I, I actually was annoyed about it because I watched the first episode on a screener earlier in the day. And I was so blown away by this episode. You're also so proud Yikes. of yourself for being prepared. I was really pleased. Yeah, okay, were let, like, let, I let,
1: mapped this out to the minute.
0: And also, I was still probably pretty roided out, to be honest with you. I was just just crushing protein yeah. bowls and watching three screens at once. Yeah. Um, when they pull you in front
1: of the, the congressional hearing
0: on television criticism, yeah.
1: and they're like, have you ever...
0: And, and and I just snapped three take, pencils take, at once. Yeah,
1: taking any supplements to aid your television viewing. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> the answer is yeah, and I would do it again. Um, uh, all of that is true. But I was also a little bit let down because the second episode of this season is a brilliant episode of Barry.
1: that
0: uh-huh. is absolutely in tune with what it is now and what it wants to be and where it's going. The first episode was astonishing. Like, I, I was so impressed by this. I was moved by it. I was surprised by it. I, I, I thought it was art. I really thought that the directorial choices that Bill Hader made were stunning and stunning in the sense that you could tell, but we also know from who he is in interviews that he is a real film rat, that he just he loves cinema. Yes. He has a deep recall for the, the scenes and the images and the cinematography and color patterns that have moved him. And you can feel that in the sense that when watching this episode, you're like, oh, he likes Bunuel or he likes Fellini or like all the different things that he's mushing into this one thing, as you can with all great artists. Like everyone's just an amalgamation of their influences. But what was so stunning to me about it was the the light and depth and um, confident touch with which he switched between them. Mm -hmm. There was no heavy hand of influence. It was completely light, you know, while really kind of, not pioneering. I don't want to overrate one 26-minute episode, although I think it's hard to overrate. But it was a completely different storytelling language that we're used to seeing on TV. The scenes yeah, were and are you inc-
1: referring to a lot of the like sort of surreal elements of like Sally being in the jail yard well, the, recreating the, jail- the first time he sees her, basically.
0: Yes, but then also the way that the the way the sound design goes from her being asleep on the plane to being awake on the plane and the wide vistas of the flashback just effortlessly go into the prison yard and the and the and the and the the FBI box. Yeah. You know, these sort of these, these very strong aesthetic choices that in the wrong hands would be jarring or this affected. Is a confessional booth, um, you know what is this? Yeah. It, it it was it was just really really stunning to me. Um sound design, editing, all of it. And the the scenes were so short. You know, they they were they were just these like little tone poems. It was such it was such confidence in it. And you know what it really I I've been, I've You should say something because otherwise I'm just going to keep going. But um, remember our favorite show from a couple years ago, Le Bureau. Mm -hmm. This is relevant. This isn't like the the Tanizaki book that I was talking about last week. I I enjoyed that. Um, It was like in the top eight things you said, but you had
1: one thing last week where you liked. Holy shit! I know. Yeah, the moon thing.
0: I got nothing like that this week. I just go, so I'm just gonna. I'm, gonna I'm sorry. Fl- I d- I had the hair air thing. That was good. You know? I'm just gonna flood the zone with stuff. I, d-
1: I don't actually have a point. I just think that those words sound alike. <laughs> yeah, they really do.
0: They're you know they're really there's just a one small difference <laughs> between them that you know I'll leave to the listeners to puzzle out. What yeah. um, if
1: I'm like Charlie from It's Always Sunny and that's just how I spell
0: it? <laughs> I think that's also hair fine. hair. That's the same word, right? Yeah, it also means rabbit. So we love this show. You guys should watch it. It's streaming on AMC uh, Plus in French, I think. French spy show, absolute genius. One of the things that was really really remarkable George about Clooney's it, remaking it now. is that we'll see. But it was announced as part of the new little bit of Showtime seasoning in your Paramount Plus. Um I was sorry, I don't mean to be snarky. There was no writer or anything announced, so who knows how far away that actually right. is. Uh one of the most remarkable things about that show is that showrunner Eric Rochant, who was on our podcast and was really cool about it, um, like all showrunners, had a very specific vision for the show. He was in control of it. He wrote the storylines. He wrote a lot of the scripts, et cetera, et cetera. But really felt like he wanted—didn't trust himself to end the show purely because he was too in love with the characters or too fond of them. So he did the very radical thing of bringing in very prominent French Jacques director Odiard. Jacques Odiard yeah. and saying— I've, I've driven the car up to the precipice. It's up to you to Thelma and Louise off of it, and I stand by your artistic choices. Okay. That was his vision of what he could do with the show. What I feel about Perry is that Bill Hader did that to himself. Yeah. yeah. Like, this, the journey from season home. one to four is really unprecedented in terms of watching someone grow, as not just as a performer, because that probably is underrated, what he's doing on the show, and he probably would underrate it himself and privilege the other things he's doing. But in terms of risk-taking and um, just taking chances, pushing things, seeing how far this rubber band can go before it snaps. And I just think we're in uncharted territory because remember when this was a very, very clever show that was what very, if hitman became an actor? It, but it was very yeah. inside jokey about like North Hollywood and yeah. wanting to make it. And that was 100% true to what the show was. And now it is 100% irrelevant, except not. Because yeah. what it did is stripped away everything. Well, and every to-
1: season ends with a, them put, putting themselves in an impossible place. How do you have a, a light comedy where you love this guy who's trying to go from hitman to actor if he kills one of the truly good people on the show.
0: Story-wise, yes, but what it's also done is it just stripped away all the nonsense like some sort of Zen priest and it's just like, oh, people are animalistic and vicious and just want to be loved more than anything. They just want to be loved and sometimes we try to become actors to become famous to Mm -hmm. fill that hole or sometimes we kill people because our father figure told us to but at the end, we're just these like gaping black holes like they are in succession and that first episode, I'm just really shaken up by it. And the second episode? was great. Okay. Great episode I thought you were coming
1: with the, but then in the no. second episode.
0: No, but the second episode had some of the stuff that, that at the beginning of, yeah, at the beginning of the last season jarred me more like the Dave and Buster's bit, but that was really fucking funny. But it was man. so funny. They,
1: listen. And the fact that like, they're doing this like 360 pan to, with Crystal Ball and, yes. and Hank doing it. And then Hank has to like run back to be in the right blocking for the scene. I, but it's like, he, he's doing it on purpose. It's not like Bill is like, oh, now he needs to be
0: over here. You, you don't, we don't need to do clickbait stuff and be like, one thing is good and one thing isn't. But these two episodes of this show, I think, are my favorite thing from this year. I think, like, it's just jumped. There you go, dog. I was trying to be just like, nah.
1: sometimes, you know, I, I sometimes like throw stuff out like just for tension, you know? Yeah, no, but, I know. And I, I do find the plotting of TV shows, especially the more I, if I'm watching a ton of them, which, you know, I, I feel like I do, to be a little bit like, we're doing this to extend the story. You know, you're you're changing your mind about something. And so in the course of two episodes, I think Barry Fuchs is gonna set Barry up, falls in love with Barry again. Yeah. Then gets betrayed by Barry. Barry
0: That was a huge turn.
1: Yeah. Barry forgives Fuchs, fucks Fuchs over. Hank needs to break Barry out, decides he needs to kill Barry. Sally hates Barry, goes to prison to see him and decides that she's probably like only safe with Barry. Cousineau is like, I've Pure I've done something purely good with my life now. And now how can I corrupt that by trying to become famous off of the back of it? <laughs> but the
0: the the thing when he gets caught at oh Cantor's God. doing the Can I
1: tell you something about that shot of Cantors? Yeah. You know I go to Cantors not infrequently.
0: Yeah. Because your does beast, this you're a hype beast. You're always up at Supreme but,
1: first. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. What's the weird sex shop next to Cantors? Don't don't look at me and ask me that. I'm like, I don't never know. Have you been to Cantors? I go to Cantors. I, I love Cantors. But there's that leather store next to it. I, see, so- I respect it because I don't feel like that happens enough now. Everything is like vape shops. I feel like we right. need more, more leather Like th- there's some, there's some yeah. darkness here, but it's not just about like, right smoking
0: bowls. But you can also get rugula. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it.
1: That's like New York has that. You know, like when you're walking down the sex street, shops you know, like, and bagels, deli, yeah. sex shop, right? Dwayne Reed. Um. Anyway, my point is, is that Bill has such like a hater has such like a very specific view and mm-hmm. vision of. This California that this show is set in. Yep. That even Cantors looks different to me. And I've fucking been to Cantors. And it's like, I've maybe no, I but, don't spend as much time in the valley as this show does. But I was like, oh my God, like I don't even know if I've ever seen the sky look that way in Cantors.
0: Yeah, the light and the sky. It, it is completely aesthetically integrated show. And then also just it's these little touches that the real ones, the great ones, know how to do. Yeah. Like Patrick Fischler great actor um loved him on mad men love him every time he shows up um Mulholland drive he's the vanity fair writer yeah that's a great casting choice that makes really interesting sense and when you see him you're interested his face his reaction kuzino soaked in sweat <laughs>
1: as he does this one man performance of that, all of Barry. that there will
0: be his only comment on the matter oh my you know God. it it but it, I, this is all off the record it was so <laughs> it it's it's so so funny but I also, th- Im-, well, I- I'm impressed by two things. One is, it's really quite a double feature of fucked up parenting to watch these episodes, like the Sally stuff and Joplin. Um, I mean, those scenes were viscerally hard. Yeah, I watch. thought they were pretty funny too, and really funny <laughs> yeah. though.
1: That's the thing. we having the panic attack in the car, and the mom being like, "Can I get a yes. order of tater
0: tots?" But that's what I mean. There's different ways to do this, and both Succession and Barry are masterclasses in being like, "We are, we are, we've been to therapy, guys. Yeah, we understand." mistakes here and like where the fences fall and the terrain and we understand the damage generationally that we do to each other and these patterns we're stuck into and we keep she went back to Joplin just like we were talking about how Kendall still wants to be loved like they keep doing it but you can be funny about it and you can be funny without making fun like Sally's in a nightmare Sally's also ludicrous yeah it's an incredible balancing act And, and to your point though about the reversals I agree about that there's a version of it where you kind of become a fan of the managing. Like, I know I've been doing a lot of sports metaphors lately, but it's because I've been listening to a lot of sports podcasts because yeah. I've been driving a lot, um, full disclosure. But um, the, you know, like, you you could think about, like, Philly's manager, Rob Thompson, who's just like, I have 14 clods who can only strike out or hit home runs, and I have to try to make this work into some sort of coherent narrative. Uh-huh. So far the season, not going great. But... You could similarly... Well, two you, of those clods have deeply injured themselves. One... Yes, that's
1: true. You're very... You're you're very wait and see about baseball. I just hate it when people are like, these guys eat shit. It's like, well, they're two best players. I did... Suck or, or, or hurt, you know? Oh, Trey Turner's hurt? I, I'm just saying recent, recent Bryce being out. Let's <laughs> okay. just... Yeah. I know. It throws know. off the
0: whole item. Listen... You could look at Barry or at any kind of serialized How would you show like, it like if that. I
1: put you on up? a pitch clock without telling you. You know,
0: you tried that two <laughs> weeks ago, and people got very freaked out. People were talking. Um, you could look at any serialized show or a show like Barry that way, being like, "Well, all right, well, we've put everyone here, and now I've got to, and I've ended up with a show with a character like NoHo Hank who was supposed to die in the pilot, and." You know, and and Cristobal, who really worked and popped, and that made sense for us, and we've got to fold him in. How are we going to balance this and have this all work narratively in a way that that is satisfying? Because we're really just making it up as we went along. You could praise the management of it because, in small strokes, you see the stitching, and mm-hmm. you're like, the Sally visit is what gives Barry another false dream to fall in love with which causes him to walk away from the father figure love and do everything because and betray
1: everyone for this person because he's
0: like I'm going to get her with me right I can we can have a picket fence in the witness protection program or whatever it's going to be you get into the fine details it works yeah. and you can be like good management but I also just think that sometime during the pandemic like they he tapped Hater tapped into some different vein well it's
1: I, I don't know how many shows we'll ever get that the season third season was written and ready to go the pandemic happens and he rewrites the third season mm-hmm. and who knows what happens to the
0: fourth season because of that but they had it he had it done also right like i think that they i think had, that
1: they decided to to do it concurrently right the writing of it but i think he rewrote the third season before they went into production on it
0: right i i just think that we should
1: probably listen to bill and You'll talk to Sean Venesey on the Prestige TV podcast to hear about this more. It's a great
0: plug. Yeah. I think we should. But I, I I just, separate apart from how much I enjoyed this and I clearly really loved and enjoyed it, I, I just think that it's it's so um, emblematic of such amazing, rare things in TV of watching artistic growth happen in real time, of taking real chances but having mastery over them when you take them. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels sloppy. Nothing feels out out of sorts it's earned everything you know just that that to have a character as broadly comic as noho hank and then have the, the his his nightmare in that premiere you know where he's once again chained with the tiger with the tiger but barry is there and what barry means for him and be able to make that serious it, all the sort of things that i was a year ago we were in this Not we certainly weren't in this room a year ago but a year whenever the season three premiered we were zooming it and we were like is it too funny and also sometimes sad, wasn't it? That's just twenty twenty
1: two. We weren't. I was like, I saw you in twenty twenty two.
0: You, yeah, we, we saw each other. I mean, do, we weren't.
1: We didn't do in person pods.
0: Yeah, in this, literally in this, room. in this room. Yeah. Um, I, and all that time, Kaya could have watched X <laughs> <laughs> two. A lot of downtime, Kaya. Just say, yeah, what were you doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, that was that was really wrong because it was it was building to something. You know, in, in a really, really interesting way. I, I was it's crazy that these shows are back to back with the third best show on television that we not the even PM. Doing. Well, that's Mondays. Yeah. No, the third best show was Hundred Foot Wave, man. We can't
1: get to Hundred Foot Wave today. Whew. God, that's good too. But we have a lot of stuff to talk about. I kinda wanna save the max stuff for Thursday. Yeah, that's fine. Little we'll state of the indie. You know, I feel like are we over leveraged on HBO? On this podcast? Yeah. Um, we got Mrs. Davis coming that's true Peacock coming um, through and Top, top Chef we, we still should, talk about that we have
0: to talk about Top Chef got a lot of opinions on it yes yeah like has anyone ever made a sandwich before <laughs> that's one of my questions <laughs> I really I could Tom do 10 minutes on that Tom fucked everybody
1: up by being like make it make it be like commensurate with this Downton Abbey Oh, the manor yeah oh just like fucking let them cook dude don't be
0: like oh by the way it has to be as nice as this place i don't think they've ever had a sandwich before i i I really we can get into the sandwich gate
1: okay thursday we're going to talk about sandwiches we're going to talk about surfing we're going to talk about max max no longer
0: hbo r.i.p i think it's good people can wait a week for our and we're
1: also going to talk about true detective
0: night country and how you're coming to the snow-capped mountains with me <laughs> I mean, has any trailer ever been more made for you so every so often there's one of these things
1: I was thinking we could do something fun which is yeah. re-watch season one together wow
0: that's what you were thinking what
1: would th- what would you consider that me cashing in if I asked you to do that with me
0: well considering you watched a Miyazaki movie for me which you know we all appreciated that was really cool <laughs> um you're definitely in a position to ask me to watch something. remember
1: when you were like dude my car won't start on sunset and i just came in and, and like thugged it out with you and got your 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 keys and stuff
0: that is true that is true he, on mike chris is is tough as nails but off mike <laughs> you'll do anything you're, you're teddy bear
1: thanks to Kai McMullen for producing us it's great to have her in the studio it's great to see you i'm so glad you're feeling better thanks yeah um, this, the, the drugs worked good job science <laughs> let's just wrap it up there and shout out to to all the sex shops that are persevering in this economy yeah I mean should they start advertising on this podcast that was the sort of foundational that was like one of the first podcast advertising staples was was sort of sexually explicit toys and stuff oh yeah remember that used to be on like Marin? yeah Marin
0: used to do a lot of uh, was it like Adam and Eve or something
1: yeah no free ads don't don't throw that out there you never know bleep that guy please <laughs> uh, see you Monday All right, Thursday Am I going to get
0: sick again? That was freaky. I'll see you Thursday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm.